0: Will you bow with me in a moment of prayer? God of abundant and steadfast love, we gather to worship and praise you this morning. There is no way we as humans can measure the immensity of God's love because it's as vast as the heavens and your love is deeper than the deepest seas and all of creation cannot contain the love that flows so faithfully and generously from your heart of grace to us each day. God, sometimes we have doubts about how lovable we are. Help us today to accept the searching light of your love into our lives so that with honest hearts we may experience your peace surrounding and upholding us in our daily life. God, help us to always rely on your eternal promises that are so that claiming those promises as our very own, we may daily grow in love and in our commitment to you and, and seek to serve you all of our days. God, we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're in the middle of a teaching series called Getting Ready for a Miracle. And we're looking at some of the stories in the New Testament that describe the miracles that Jesus performed while he lived here on Earth. Today we're in Luke's Gospel and we're looking at four miracles that Luke strings together with some important lessons for us about the power of God. So we'll get to all that in a few moments. But it is a great day, despite the weather outside, to be in God's house, and so thank you for making it even richer by your presence. Let's pray. Sovereign God, your word brings us face to face with your high expectations for us, and you speak to us in the everyday circumstances of our life, inviting us to act on your behalf, to feed the hungry, to house the homeless, and to clothe those who are without the basic necessities of life. You call us to use worship, not as a time to escape from the world, but as a time of preparation, so that we can go out and light up this world around us. So may we hear your voice today and devote ourselves anew to your service, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been here the last couple of weeks or listened to the podcast, you heard Pastor Tim talk about three significant miracles of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. But the question I have for you today is a personal one. What do you think about miracles? Do you spend time praying for miracles to happen? Or coming up with reasons why they don't happen? I mean, do you think we should expect miracles today? Or are you resigned to the idea that God doesn't do miracles anymore? Well, our theme this month is getting ready for a miracle. And there's no shortage of miracles in Luke's gospel. We could look at um, healing stories, the miraculous catch of fish, and many, many more. But this week we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 8 where the writer strings together four of Jesus' miracles. And if you'd like to follow along, please do. Luke has chosen to do this quite deliberately because he is inviting us to put them together, building on one another, miracle upon miracle, and come to a conclusion. So let's look at the four scenes from Jesus' ministry that Luke puts before us, and the point of all of them is to show us the power of Jesus. First we see Jesus' power over nature. In scene one, we're with Jesus and the disciples in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now due to the geography, localized violent storms were not unusual on the Sea of Galilee so the waves are crashing against the side of the boat the wind is shredding the sails the planks of the boat are creaking and groaning the boat is listing and tossing and filling with water and even the most experienced professional sailors on board are scared verse 24 says the disciples went and woke Jesus up shouting master master we're about to drown And Jesus is sleeping through all of this. They have to wake him up. Unconcerned, he simply gets to his feet and speaks a word. In verse 24, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. The storm stopped and all was calm. Now the disciples seem even more terrified by this than the storm itself. In fear and in amazement, they ask one another, who is this man? When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus has power over nature and power over the storm. Second, we see Jesus' power over demons. Jesus and his disciples do make it to the other side of the lake, to the Gentile region where a demon-possessed man comes to meet him. But this is not any demon-possessed man. This man has many, many, many demons. Now, a Roman legion had about 6,000 soldiers. It may be an exaggeration, but Luke says that this man had legions, plural, legions of demons in him. And as a result, this man was powerfully deranged. He was out of control, naked, living in the to- among the tombs, fleeing to a solitary place after having broken his chains and overpowering his guard. And here in this story, we're faced with a different sort of chaos. In scene one, we saw a storm in the physical realm, and now we're confronted with a storm in the spiritual realm. This wild man comes out to meet Jesus, and it's immediately clear who's in control. The demons had complete control over this man, but at Jesus' word, they are helpless. Look at verse 30. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered, in, entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid." Then those who had had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed, and all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. Now just as Jesus had brought calm to the storm on the lake, he now brings calm and order into the life of this one man. Why did Jesus allow the demons to destroy the pigs? Well, it is the pigs that show us that this episode was a genuine encounter with the forces of evil. If it weren't for the pigs, we might be able to say that this was only a miracle of psychology, that Jesus somehow changed this man's mental state, restoring a deranged man to sanity. But the destruction of the pigs shows us that the demons were real, and Jesus had confronted the powers of evil and had won. What a scene it must have been as the maddened herd of pigs raced down the hill and into the lake. No wonder the people were overcome with fear and Jesus was asked to leave town. Now third, we see Jesus' power over sickness. In scene three, we are back across the lake and in quick succession, Jesus encounters two more very desperate people. Pastor Tim spoke of both of those stories, these stories two weeks ago. First there is Jairus, a leader in the local synagogue, who falls down at Jesus' feet, begging him to come and heal his 12-year-old daughter who is on the verge of death. But Jairus uh, would have to wait. The scene belongs to a poor sick woman first, who has her own reason for her desperation. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Now, according to the law, that made her ceremonially unclean, effectively excluding her from all religious life. She's helpless, she's powerless, no one can cure her. And only she—only uh, uh, she's heard about this man who heals people. She dares to fight her way through the crushing crowd and merely touches coat. She's not bold enough to demand Jesus' attention. She believes and desperately hopes that that touch will be enough. But Jesus notices, he feels the healing power flow from him despite the crush of people and the urgency of his journey, and he knows that a desperate soul has made contact with him. Look at verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him, and the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus stops and makes sure that everyone knows that this woman is healed. She is no longer unclean, and he makes sure that they know that it is his power that has done it. And then finally, we see Jesus' power over death. In scene four, we're back with Jairus. While Jesus delayed, his daughter has died. Jesus may have power over sickness, but no one on earth had power over death. For this little girl, it's too late. Maybe Jesus' delay was deliberate, just as In John's Gospel, when he hears that his friend Lazarus is sick and close to death, he deliberately stays away two more days, and so Lazarus dies. But in this little sequence of power plays, there is no value in showing, once again, that he has power over sickness. Jesus is going for the big one here. No one on earth had power over death. And yet for Jesus, it was effortless. Verse 52, the house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. So there we have four scenes of desperation, four demonstrations of God's power. And if we want to think in terms of alliteration, I would say that Jesus demonstrated power over destruction and over demons and over disease and over death. In these scenes, we see Jesus exercising power in every sphere of this fallen creation. So what are we to make of all this? Well, I want to share with you a couple of observations. First of all, Jesus' miracles reveal to us his identity. In this... This is the, uh, the big theme that's controlling Mark, uh, Luke's organization of all this material. In the disciples' words of verse 25, he's answering the question, who is this man? Ironically, the demons are in no doubt about who Jesus was. In verse 28, they call him Jesus, son of the most high God. The Gentile former demoniac seem pretty clear who Jesus was. Look at the parallel in verse 39 Jesus says go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him in short Jesus does things that only God can do I love the words of Psalm 89 uh, verses 8 through 11 and it says this "O Lord God of heaven's armies where is there anyone as mighty as you you are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. It's a great story about King Canute, back in the 11th century, who really got this point. In the famous story, Canute sets up his throne down by the seashore, and he commands the tide to halt and to not wet his robes or his feet. (laughs) But the the tide fails to stop. And Canute steps back, and he says, Let all men know how empty and worthless is the power of kings. For there is none worthy of the name but he whom heaven and earth And see obey by eternal laws and then we're told that he hung up his gold crown on a crucifix and never wore it again God created those eternal laws and only he can overthrow them to perform miracles who else in the history of the world has ever been able to order demons around or heal at a touch or be able to restore life with a simple word Only God can do those things. The miracles of Jesus reveal his identity. He is God in human form. Secondly, Jesus' miracles reveal God's kingdom. To demonstrate his mastery over all of creation, Jesus could have done some pretty destructive things. How spectacular it would have been if Jesus would have commanded a volcano to erupt or an asteroid to smash into the temple, or how spectacular if he would have made the Roman army all go crazy with all those demons. How spectacular to inflict boils on the Pharisees or strike Pontius Pilate down with a simple word. But Jesus' miracles have no hint of destruction about them. In every case, he chooses to bring order out of chaos. He chooses to heal instead of harm. And in this way, Jesus shows us what God's kingdom is like. You see, the creation we live in is wonderful, and it's a bright painting that has been obscured by a thick layer of darkness and dirt and grime. And we can just about make out the underlying picture, but it's faint. And the world, you see, is not one of brightness today, but one of darkness and evil. And what Jesus does in these miracles is punch a few holes through the grime and through the darkness so that we can see just specks of that glorious picture that's underneath. And in Jesus' miracles, we catch a glimpse of creation as it was meant to be. We catch a glimpse of evil that will one day be banished forever. We catch a glimpse of a world where there's not going to be any more Uh, Death or mourning or crying or dying or pain. But for now, it's only a glimpse. The miracles are a down payment. They're a guarantee of Jesus' promise to return to this earth and bring his kingdom to fullness, to wipe away all the grime and to restore the picture in all of its glory. And Jesus can do it, and he will do it. The third observation I want to make is about those who received the miracles. In each of the cases that we looked at in Luke's gospel, the recipients were desperate people. They were no, there was no human means by which they could be helped. They had reached the end of the road. Jesus was their only hope left. The disciples were about to drown. The helpless man was possessed by a legion of demons. The bleeding woman no one could help and heal. The grieving father's daughter was dying Uh, The grieving father uh, had this daughter who was dying, and all were in very desperate straits. They had nowhere else to turn, so we learn that Jesus seems to help people who are at the end of their rope, or better yet, at the end of themselves. It's not enough to simply be desperate. The other thing they have in common is that all of them came to Jesus. The disciples may not have had much faith, but they had enough faith to go wake their master Even the demon-possessed man came to Jesus, apparently, uh, with enough sanity uh, to come out of the tombs and meet him on the shore. The woman forced her way through a crowd of people to touch him, and Jairus fell at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his home. These miracles were done for desperate people who cast themselves on Jesus as their only hope. And it's worth noticing that these seem to be the only important qualifications, In other respects, the recipients are a thoroughly mixed bunch of people from Jesus' close friends, to a Gentile man, to a poor, unclean woman, to a prominent leader of the synagogue. Jesus doesn't discriminate according to who we are. Anyone can be desperate and any one of us can come to him. So what about miracles today? That's really the elephant in the room, isn't it? Does God work miracles today? And if so, why don't we see more of them? You know, I see no reason from the Bible to suppose that miracles such as healing would be limited to New Testament times. And I've read plenty of stories where miraculous things have happened in our day and in the lives of people today that can't be explained any other way. And I have no reason to believe that these people were deluded or or lying. So why aren't we seeing more frequent demonstrations of the power of God? Well, perhaps one of the reasons is that on the whole, we are simply not desperate enough our primary goal is often to get what we want, healing, a better job, a better marriage, to win the lottery, not necessarily to glorify God or to cast ourselves on God's mercy and grace. In general, we find other ways to solve our problems, don't we? We don't naturally turn to Jesus first for help, and it's usually after we've tried all of the other things that we can think to do of ourselves. But another possibility is that we simply don't recognize the miraculous that is happening all around us. What I mean by that is most of us in this room do experience miraculous things in our life. The promise in Romans chapter eight twenty-eight is this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Whatever storms of life come our way, God can use them to bring about some good. The non-Christian doesn't have that hope. But we are promised that nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are just two of the incredible promises in Scripture. We also have the capability to resist evil, and that's a pretty incredible thing as well. The non-Christian is hopeless, or helpless against the power of evil. The Apostle Paul refers to the devil as the God of this world, but James writes to Christians and encourages us to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. In the power of Jesus, we can be completely free from the power of Satan. In 1 John 4, verse 4, it says, the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Another great promise. Even death for the Christian is no longer a mortal enemy, but it's a doorway to life and to permanent healing. These are incredible things, maybe even miraculous things, that God works in the lives of each and every one of us who cast ourselves upon him. When we become a Christian, we bow before Jesus, we desperately uh, we come to him desperate and empty-handed, we come uh, to the only one who can help us, knowing that without him we are lost, And Jesus works a miracle in us, healing us and saving us, and he's done that for every one of us who is truly a Christ follower. And we should not be complacent about the miracles that Jesus works in any of us who believe. We should not always be seeking the spectacular, but recognize that there are miraculous things happening every day. You've been hearing from us since back in March about this next Sunday, which we're calling Miracle Sunday. And for a congregation of this size, I think we've done some pretty incredible things over the last 25 or 30 years by the power of God. In 1993, we planned a building project that cost about $1.5 million, and we had a congregation, a worshiping congregation, of about 200 to 250 people. And a few people said that we could never accomplish something of that magnitude with so few people and almost no money in the bank but we did it by the power of god in 2004 we added our children's wing and we repurposed the space that is now our student center and gym for ministry to youth and that cost us again about a million and a half many wondered about the wisdom of such a project but again it was accomplished by the power of god Numerous other capital projects have been accomplished since, along with additions to our staff, expanding our food pantry, the purchase of uh, the house and property out here to the north uh, for $250,000, which happened almost overnight, and so many more things. Each time we've wondered, how is it going to be possible? And yet God has continued to bless this congregation and provide the resources and the people necessary to fulfill our vision and our mission in this community. And next weekend, I believe we're going to see God do some great things again. There's been a unified spirit among our leadership to support this goal of reducing or eliminating our current indebtedness on this facility, which is 1.1 million dollars. We're not pressuring anyone to give. This is strictly between you and God. Some will be able to give, others may not be able to do that. Some will want to give, others won't see the value in it. I know that some families in this congregation have surplus funds to draw from, and there are some families just getting by each month. But that's who we are, and we're not going to pressure you to give if you choose to or choose not to or can't. Back in March, we began to look at what it would take for us to eliminate this debt if every giving family here, about 450 of you, uh, were able to save and give on average $3,000, knowing that some can't do that, some could do more, but if that were possible, we would go over the top of our goal by over $200,000. Jan and I began uh, to talk about this in March last year, last year, this past uh, March, to set aside what we could as well with a goal of at least $3,000. Could we use that money for other things? Sure we could. But this is what we believe that God has called us to do at this time in our life. And we wanna be a part of this great movement of God here at Redeemer that began many years ago and continues to impact people all around this community. And the sooner we pay off this debt, the sooner we can take the next step that God is calling us to take as a congregation. In the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter four, verse six, we read an interesting statement. It is the word of the Lord saying, it is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And that's the statement I wanna leave with you today. Whatever God chooses to accomplish through us this next weekend will not be by our might, It will not be by our power. It will be by His Spirit. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do through us, and I hope you are too. Let's pray. Creator God, come among your people in power this day and restore your church to what you intended for us to be a light to the world around us. This is your work, and you alone can do the impossible. You alone can encourage us to aspire to greater things. You alone can empower us to do your will. You alone can guide our prayer and our work and reveal your plans for our future. So do your work now in this place. Accomplish in and through us what you will. And bless us by your presence here. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.